Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Hello, and welcome to Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Robert C. Cooper is joining us once again for part five of his ongoing interview series with us. We were going to go into season two originally, and then y'all submitted so many questions over the course of two days that I was like, we've got to use these. Uh, for the majority of the discussion. So that's what we did. Uh, we're taking a break from going through specific episodes and and just kind of uh, easing back and, and going over uh, what uh, you, the fans, have submitted. So that's going to be the plan for this episode. Everything that's uh, pretty much everything that's uh, been uh, asked is going to be by the fans in this one. Uh, so because this is a pre-recorded episode, you're more than welcome to take part in the live chat, but it's a pre-recorded show. So the moderators are not going to be taking any questions uh, for Rob at this time. If you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show continue to grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on both the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. That's enough babbling from me. Let's go to Robert C. Cooper. Robert C. Cooper, joining us for season two on Dial the Gate. Sir, it is such a pleasure to have you back. Thank you so much for being with us. This is a privilege. Nice to be here. Nice to be here. Season two. How does that work? Like, season what's, two. What's so I took a break over the summer, and so I called that season one. Uh, we ended with 100 episodes, and it was a big hoopla. We had uh, the Atlantis cast, like seven or eight of them, for uh, San Diego Comic-Con. So we recorded in June, and that aired in July. And it was a big deal. The The channel exploded from 11,000 members, uh, subscribers, to now 19,000 we're at right now. Wow, congratulations. Um, thank you. I'm very thankful. And 100 I, episodes, too. That's, uh, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be able to do that this season. I was like, you know what? Let's let's just see where this goes, and now we can dial. Well, it you back can do bit. like you can at least do like ninety five with Melissa, <laughs> and, then, and then make the rest up with us. Uh, you know, us schmoes. Well, you know, <laughs> my God, schmoes, give me a break. Um, you know, I mean, it's I'm starting to think kind of like how you guys probably felt. You know, when going from 20 to 40 at uh, season eight and season one, uh, uh, respectively, I mean, at some point you must have been thinking, okay, quality, quantity, you know, where do we draw the line here? It's, uh, you know, some of our, we have our A, our A ideas that we've been meditating on over the off season. And now some of the B ideas or C ideas are going to have to, to come into the fray. Did it ever look like that? Did it ever, did you ever think to yourself, you know what? We have 40 freaking stories to tell in a 52 week year this is yeah. not possible well no one would I mean, do that what, nowadays yeah but i mean look we we the 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 main trick is bring in new minds mm-hmm. like bring in new people who have different ideas or aren't as familiar with the canon or are gonna 
you know, break the mold a little bit um, and add to that board. Um, and uh, and then, you know, a season one with Atlantis, uh, it, it was fresh. There were fresh stories to tell with the characters, new characters. I mean, some new, some some borrowed uh, from 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 SG one. But um, I, I don't think uh, I don't think there was a lack of ideas for for Atlantis and mm. and 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 you know again getting back to to a previous conversation we had about SG1 I think the way in which we continually energized that show was by embracing you know the change and and making sure that we were rethinking the show you know you're making a movie essentially every week on a television series budget which was around four million an episode Oh, not for season one of not Atlantis. For season one of Atlantis. Oh. That was the yeah. uh, question. The I was only way, to. yeah, the only way we could have made Atlantis, you know, even gotten it in the can, was through the efficiencies of having both shows running concurrently. So, wow. so right, if we had tried to mount Atlantis on its own at the budget we were given, which was significantly, uh, I don't think I'm giving away any secrets here but it was like significantly under two uh okay. for and, season one yeah wow. and so um you know there's uh, there's other calculations involved mm-hmm. in terms of tax credits and and what have you but we were we were you know using both shows to support each other uh in terms of stages and sets and um uh you know we 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 had one office for both shows and Correct. a lot of the staff, uh, the office staff would work on both. There was, there were, there were significant savings and, and, um, uh, and SG one, um, at that time having grown, I mean, one of the economics of production is that the, you know, as the show goes on, it gets more expensive, but you don't actually put it on the screen because that's going to salary increases mm-hmm. for cast and crew. Um, but, it's still SG one had a healthy budget at that point. So we could kind of beg, borrow and steal where we needed to. Um, there were, there were a t- couple times when I, I, I felt a little tension from the, um, you know, from the SG one side of things, you know, going, how come Atlantis is getting that? You know, why aren't we, why aren't we getting that? And it's like, it's the new show. It's gotta, it's gotta do well. I remember the scene uh, the, the where Val is sitting on the bench in Washington at the budget hearing, and they're saying, you know what, we've got to we've got to earmark funds for the Atlantis expedition. I mean, you guys can run on ten to twenty percent of your budget, and you're not. I mean, it's you think it's a big deal, but it's really not. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, I wonder, I wonder how much of this echoed the conversations that they must have had uh, last season when it landed. Hundred percent, of course. I mean, it's it's always you know we we that's the, that's how we <clears throat> stay sane. You know, we just we reflect the reality we're living, imitate life uh, in the show. You know, like that that was the that was the thing about the. Um, you know, we were talking about hundred hundredth episode for you. Is that was the yeah. thing about the hundredth and the two hundredth, and um, is is that was our chance to kind of have fun with the reality of the making of the show and what we went through, and um, you know that 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 was sort of our. I know the 
the some hardcore fans, let's not say all hardcore fans, but some of them didn't appreciate those episodes because they thought we were mocking the show. But they can go to hell. Uh, Oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. You don't. You don't have to go to you just, hell. You just went no. down. To, you just no, went down to I'm, like seventeen thousand. You know, it, I'm sorry. I'm I saw sorry. That the the ticker is going down right now. <laughs> I don't actually mean that. But I'm just kidding. But but I mean, you have to have some levity. How else are you going to do it? Especially when you have someone like Richard Dean Anderson, who's not going to be door. You know, you have to no. break into it. No, and and. Uh... That was the tone of the show. I mean, it's why it's why people like the show. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I mean, even now I have people who who sort of say, uh, "Well, you've never you've never done comedy before," and I was like, eh, mm, "You haven't seen our show, I guess." No, there's no way. Yeah, they wouldn't make that comment otherwise. Speaking of the 100th, we lost Willie Garson a few months ago. Yeah. Tragic. We've had a, a a whole rash of people who've been with the show pass away of late. It was um, shocking, absolutely shocking. And you shared the story that you had uh, with him from uh, the Wormhole Extreme set, where he's saying, you know, the, where you have your your line of dog, and he was able to turn on a dime. I was wanting to ask if there were other, if there was any other story that you uh, remember of him during production, either from that episode or from the original, for, or from years later when he came back for two hundred. Well, I mean, uh, there's there, you know, he he was, it's, you know, producers are asked, the writers are asked all the time, you know, what's that person really like, and you know, they always say glowing things, and so. <laughs> it's hard to separate uh, the truth from the reality, you know, from from the lies. Uh, in in the case of Willie, he was just such so genuinely a decent guy, and 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 such a consummate professional, and everyone loved being around. That's why we kept having him back and tried to come up with reasons to uh, put his character in the show. I mean, um, you know, Rick was the ultimate litmus test you know he was um uh, not not the friendliest of guys to everybody uh and uh and he just loved willie and and you know it was um he was a uh just a sweetheart and 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 you know his contributions were always um made things better too like that's the uh, he, he wasn't certainly, uh, he didn't do it a lot. Like he was, he was always trying to make things work the best he could, but, but, you know, when he did make a suggestion, it was always fantastic. And, and, uh, yeah, we, uh, we all sort of, um, we all sort of communicated with each other when that happened and, uh, it still sort of stings. Absolutely. It does. I remember uh, having him on for dialogue. I was very lucky to have him on in, in season one. And he, he said, you know, I, I'm not really a sci-fi guy. You know, I did kind of the sci-fi tour for a little while with the, the, the miniseries that he was in on sci-fi channel. I can't remember the, the name right now. The chat's going to eat me alive. Um, put it in chat. I don't know what it is. Um, but also uh, Voyager and then SG one. And he's like, this is not like really my genre, but I just love doing it, you know? And he, and he had such a, a wacky, over the top uh, character that everyone just bought hook, line, and sinker. I mean, he was terrific. He was magnetic when he yeah. was on that screen. 
Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I always loved the sort of more meta aspects of his character in the show and, and, and the episodes he was in. So, um, you know, and the, and the, I think the key when doing something meta that, that really, uh, well, in the case of, you know, 200 and hundred almost, you know, forcefully broke the fourth wall. It, is to keep it grounded, right? Make it still feel like it's not a total farce. That yeah. there's some there's some tether to to a real character there, and that's what he was able to do. Is you still you just felt for him, even when he was being kind of a a jerk, you know, because that it was funny to watch him kind of get full of himself, right? He started as someone who was so, um, frankly, you know desperate in his situation yeah. and begging for help. And, you know, he turns into this sort of, um, <laughs> yeah, power hungry uh, producer. I mean, we can all identify with that experience. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. At certain points in our lives, like depending on the situation that we're in, he found his niche and, you know, I can't imagine um, the, I, I imagine he was a, a composite of yeah. of of different uh, characters that you guys have probably in your careers worked with over the years. Yeah, I just can't. I honestly, I just can't imagine uh, someone having something bad to say about him. Uh, you know, you you tapped into something that I've heard repeatedly before with Rick, where um, he was your lead, and you guys watched him, and obviously, and if there was someone that. Uh, not to say that he that he didn't, but if he like extra rose to the occasion with, then you guys took notice. And one of the others was Tom Macbeth, you know, where it's like Rick uh, would be extra on when this guy was on. It's like, well, you know what? Let's have let's have another show where you've you've got a good cop, bad cop, you know, and uh, put them in another situation together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If there was a if there was a, a, a like a regular guest, I mean, you know. Gary was like that a lot too. You know, they got along. Uh, Gary Jones, yes. Yeah, Gary Jones got along amazingly. Um, but it also had to do sometimes with Rick just getting to know that person. Mm. You you could see it instantaneously with um, people he had obvious reverence for uh, outside the show, uh, like when you know Dan Castellaneta oh came gosh. on, or, yeah, or, or you know. Dom DeLuise, uh, that was, you know, a special situation um, that we were all <laughs> grateful to have experienced. You want to talk about uh, an amazing hour of television. Yeah. Absolutely. I have um, over 60 questions submitted from fans. Holy mackerel. And okay. I, sub- I posted this two days ago, and I was sitting Ra- with Rapid fire? Can we do rapid fire answers? I, I, picked, I picked 16. Um, and originally, by the way, that's rapid fire answers are something that you should post. Uh, uh, Rob Cooper is not capable. <laughs> of. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going. But I was I was sitting down a couple of days ago, and I was like, okay, I've got to get the get the 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 requests out. And I sat down last night to call them. And on one hand, I'm thinking season two of SG One, we're going to go back, we're going to get into some history. And I pull these up, and I'm like, sixty questions. Okay, let's see how many there are. And I'll be damned if I'm not going to give most of the show over to the fans for this one. So I've I've, I've gone through and yeah, given I'm gonna give the lion's share uh to them here. Um Michelle Lee wanted to know um what inspired you to weave Arthurian 
mythology into uh, seasons nine and ten as a way to battle the Ori. Do you personally enjoy uh, Arthurian mythology? Was this your idea? Was this Brad's, Joe's, Paul's? Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 I loved it, and I was looking for, um, I was looking for some other mythology that was sort of you know that that felt like what the show was right that mm. that um that we took uh mythologies and or real history and put a twist on them uh put our stargate twist on them so i was looking for one that you know felt like it had uh some uh you know awareness in the fan base and and also you know, would be, would be fun to explore and do our version of, um, uh, you know, like it's not, it's not unlike taking Atlantis, you know, in the same way that, that we used, um, ancient, well, we, you know, I can't even take credit for it. The movie started with, uh, using ancient Egyptian mythology. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it was, it was, it was there <laughs> for the taking and, and I, I liked it. I mean, I think there was something about, um, we always looked at technology as, uh, you know, it, the, the fact that a technology to, to someone who didn't understand it could look like magic. So, so that just sort of led me down the path of saying, look, what is, what is other mythology that involves magic and how, how is magic and can it be used story-wise to, to kind of uh, enhance where we were going, which was that was the, you know, the Ori story, which was about, which was about, you know, ascension and higher power and whether or not that was uh, real or whether there was, you know, there was some veneer of magic involved. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just felt like, uh, uh, it was a story I had not seen with a sci-fi twist like that on yet. You bring in Merlin uh, in the quest too. Was there ever talk of bringing in Arthur himself? Um, yeah, I'm sure there was. I don't remember it. Uh, yeah, I don't remember that part of it. But I, I felt like we we kind of had we wanted our characters to take on the the mantle of the knights. And it, I didn't yeah. want, yeah, you know, I didn't want someone to come in and sort of steal the show. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Mitchell kind of picked up that mantle when he pulled this successfully pulled the sword from the stone. So yeah. he was kind of Arthur. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, yeah, duh, David, <laughs> we're not going to bring in someone else. He's kind of that role. No, no, no. I mean, it's a valid <laughs> question. I just, I, yeah. I mean, I just think, and I, you know, you asked about it and I'm sure we talked about it, but, you know, it just seemed more natural and and uh, forwarded our own character stories to have them take on that. That um, it was it was it was okay to have the the mentor essentially mm. there, but we wanted the hero that was called to action to be our guys. That makes sense. Jamie Hit, when did you guys really know that you had lightning in a bottle? with SG one. I mean, obviously you started off, uh, uh, green lit. So with two seasons, four seasons, five seasons, when did you really get a sense? Okay. Not only do we have 
uh, a long list of seasons to, to really expand stuff. But this is clicking. Did you start seeing it on the screen? Was it on the page first? Was it when the four talent got together? I, I mean, if you're looking for like a specific episode, I don't know that I can pinpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, they kept ordering it, so we kept making <laughs> and uh And I do think it kept getting better so that was that was the other thing that i think everybody felt was that it was going in a positive direction so i don't know that it was like a uh fireworks going off uh epiphany moment where we all were like this is this is great it's a process where you're always working to try and make something better and you know there can be situations in which there are forces at work that are uh working against that and 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 making it worse to the point where everybody, you know, bails out. Uh, in this case, I think everyone felt that it was getting better uh, consistently. And and uh, I think it was, you know, I think it was honestly for me, uh, season four, when I felt like the show really um, kind of hit its stride and, and, and there were um, more episodes that I thought were successful than ones that I thought were less successful. To this day, season four is my favorite. I have to agree. It doesn't contain my favorite episode, but in terms of the 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 freshness of the stories, I think the balance of of uh, drama and humor really took off that season. Not to say that the earlier or later seasons don't have their distinct quality, which they all do, but every season okay, this is going to sound stupid, kind of has like a vibration to it. You know, like mm-hmm. the texture. When you look at this, as a viewer, when I look at the season, it's like, okay, this is, this is how I, 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 feel, I feel a sense or like a color of this season. And season four is always, to this day, the, the warmest that I had of, of SG-1. There was something special mm-hmm. about that year. Yeah, I mean, I, I um, you know, I look at each one and see ups and downs. But um... You probably see your kids. When you look at each season, oh, this was going on at home. Yeah, this was yeah, happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, I still, I mean, I still, I still have a, a affection for for season seven, you know, because of uh, uh, heroes and 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 the setup of of uh, of Atlantis. Wow, Lost City. Was that um, the big? I guess it was probably self-evident that that was the beginning of the of the hectic times that that's when season seven uh began production is that when the conversations about atlantis started talking taking place with sci-fi behind the scenes yeah Yeah. okay all right i wanted um to ask you about cast transitions which do you think um were some of of uh, the more uh, successful which do you think were just more out of they they all happen for their different reasons. Jonas replaced Daniel. Daniel replaced Jonas. Cameron took over for Jack. Vala was introduced. Jennifer Keller replaced Carson. Um, Samantha Carter replaced Dr. Weir. And Woolsey eventually replaced Carter as well. Now, keep all that encapsulated. And what do you, <laughs> how do you feel about um, uh, the cast uh, transitions uh, for those shows? And how uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I, yeah. It's going to sound like I'm dodging, but mm-hmm. I don't know that I, um, I don't know that I would, you know, I'd ever look at them as something I could rank, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they all, uh, were, you know, nest, nest, 
you know, necessary. They were, they were necessitated by, uh, either, you know, things going on behind the scenes or, or story. And so, um, I always saw them as something that had to happen. And, and in almost every case you mentioned, I think it was successful. You know, it, it did what it needed to do. It brought new energy and chemistry to the show. And, um, you know, I think with a couple of exceptions, uh, you know, I think the fans were always, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they didn't like the change initially, but if you went back and said, well, would you take Woolsey out of the show? They would, they wouldn't, they would mm-hmm. say, no, I wouldn't do that at all. Um, you know, I, I, did Jennifer Keller replace Frazier? I, I think uh, it Carson. Was, uh, Carson, Carson. Yeah. yeah. So we lost him in Sunday and then, um, you guys had, uh, she was, sorry. I'm sorry. I must've misheard you. No, I, it's I, okay. Yeah. I think there was a, there was at some point, a uh, a process of potentially getting, getting her in. If I'm misremembering something that Joe, yeah, that Joe I, like the, to me. the, 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 you know, the death of Frazier was obviously the one that was most controversial for the fans. And, um, and, uh, so I mean that, and that one I never saw as being one where we ever really replaced her. That was not that was not so much of a, you know, that was not a casting decision. That was a story decision. And, to be fair, I did not put her on this list. Yeah. So because <laughs> I was thinking of that, I was like, I mean, I don't really see. There was like a series of doctors who came in after. Um, but yeah, going back to that was that you guys were there wasn't going to be a season eight. You know, this was it. And had there only been seven seasons of SG one, I don't think anyone would have complained. Yeah. I mean, not, I mean, there would have, okay. There would have been a few complainers, but I, in, in the scheme of things, I mean, plans, plans change. And it is still, I think one of just, you know, this was going to be a home run anyway, but heroes, but that really hit it out of the park, you know, in terms of, uh, putting your money where your mouth is and saying, you know what, this is this is what we're saying about true heroes and the people who are out there um, who have who have taken up the call, you know, yeah, you know, fighting look, fires I, I, or fighting as, overseas. As a viewer, um, you know, I'm grown up, obviously a huge fan of television. I I always recognize that that having a a character who you got to know over multiple episodes and multiple seasons was someone you grew closer to than anyone you could ever, you know, get close to in a movie. Like, you know, when a, when a character died in a movie, it was sad and you certainly had a reaction to it, but it was never the same as when a longstanding character that you were a huge fan of died um, in a, in a series. And so, you know, as a writer, you, how could you not want to, so they don't want to do it all the time. You don't want to be the grim reaper of television, right. but, but you, <laughs> you, how could you not want to write about that yeah. type of uh, loss? That that's what we do, right? That's the, that's what we want to kind of get in there and, and play with is, is the emotion that um, goes along with life. And so, I mean, I, yeah, it was not something that I would have done again, um, but this is not uh, to harken back to a show that my parents love. This is not this is us. This is a military show. You know, and this is this is a a a conflict series where war is is very much 
happening. So I think that it added uh, a, some legitimacy, much like Tasha Yar's death in Next Generation did. You know, people can be taken from us at any point. The same as what happened with Daniel, except it was just a little bit more metaphysical. Yeah, I mean, look, um, it wasn't a comedy. It was a, it was a, it was a drama, a, a science fiction action show, but had that had all those elements, drama and comedy and, and, uh, and yeah, for the most part, it was meant to be fun and made you, make you think, but it was not, it was not, um, we never pretended to suggest it was going to shy away from, from, you know, some issues every, every now and then. Jack wanted to know, were there ever any ideas thrown around for Jonas to pop up in the last three seasons of SG one? Langara gets a mention uh, in, um, I believe it's season ten, where they've been they've been taken by the Ori. Uh, but other than that, there's there's not much of a, a reference after Fallout. Yeah, I can't remember honestly. Um, I can't remember. I'm sure there were conversations about how to include him or bring him back, but I don't remember any specific stories I can relate. Okay. Jupiter 2 wanted to know, was it an uh, uh, easy decision in sometimes having the same guest actors appear in the series uh, more than once, even through a different character? Or was it a struggle because of the recognition? Well, have you ever have you ever uh, gone through the list on IMDb of how many actors were in SG-1? It's <laughs> a lot. And Vancouver many, wasn't that many- big a town. How, yeah, how many human beings do you think we could find to read lines uh, over the course of 14 seasons? So, I mean, we really tried hard not to cast the same actor in the same series. But, <laughs> yeah. but if we were switching shows... Garwin Sanford, for instance, yeah. You know, what choice did we have? Yeah. I mean... Uh, Garwin's a super talented actor and he was right for the role and by the way everyone in the show was acting <laughs> that's not actually them yeah it's it's a fair point to be made when online uh, people there are a number of fans that I've come across who are like you know it really breaks the illusion for me if they're not under like a rubber mask or something I'm like well I mean if it comes down to having the right talent and having a repeat face at a certain point, you have to be swept away by the narrative and knowing that these are actors performing on a stage and that there's, you have, that's where do you draw the line? You have to draw the line in, in buying what you're seeing. Yeah. And I mean, look, I, I totally agree with you, but I would also add that it's two things. It's the narrative and the performance. I mean, if the, if the actor is, good enough and that's you know usually why we would cast them it it, is that you'd go oh hey that was so and so but then you know whatever five minutes into the their performance in the show you're like no they're that person because they've taken you there they've done something different they've brought something to the role um and that's why we you know look uh uh, you know, we, Reese Witherspoon has been in a few television shows in the last little while, uh, often on the air at the same time. And 
I still, I tune in and watch it knowing it's Reese Witherspoon. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm there to see in part what she does with this role, this different role. And also look at that, that story as a, as a, uh, a different animal than what, what I just watched uh, on another channel. So mm. I don't know, it's, uh, and it's the same with movies. I mean, you know, I don't know if you recall. It's this. it's it's interesting because you see people talk about the other, you know, like the DC and the Marvel universe, and 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 I think they're probably pretty good uh, in terms of wanting to, you know, not cat obviously not cast a character again within a different movie. Uh, that is playing a different character within the Marvel universe. They're also even careful about whether they take someone from DC and put them in Marvel, although that happens um, like the, the weird, but then they also kind of poked fun at it in Wanda, right? Where. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. With, um, Oh, what's his face? Uh, runs really fast. I can't think of his name. Yes. Yeah. Or, but I, my favorite is green lantern and Deadpool. Right. I mean, and that's right on the face. Deadpool is Deadpool is not breaking the fourth wall. It's on our side of the fourth wall. Right, it's exactly. Literally, he's sitting beside us on the couch. <laughs> That's pretty funny, huh? Well, I, mean, uh, I even when he when he brings up. Um... Xavier, uh, Stewart or McAvoy? I'm like, okay, that's too far. You know, I, I, I have a really hard time believing anything that I'm seeing at that point. <laughs> yeah, but I, again, it, in that case, it doesn't matter. You're not there for the reality of it. That's, that's practical and the, and the performance. It's the same as, you know, when you see a live, uh, you know, when you see a, a play or a live performance or a comedian on stage, you're not under the illusion that this is reality that you're seeing, right? It's a, it's a performance and you're there to see the spectacle of the performance and the talent that is doing something extraordinary that is entertaining you. That, that is different from whether or not we are fulfilling our commitment to hundred percent portray reality in a, in a realistic way. So they're two different things. And, 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 you know, it's like, we're, we're here to entertain you. And, and there's, mm-hmm. there's some times when I am asking you to believe the conceit that what I'm doing is reflecting a reality with a groundedness that is meant to uh, uh, engage you in a story that feels quote real. And if I don't succeed in that, then that is a failure. So if I, if I, if there's a continuity error and there's a Starbucks cup in Game of Thrones, oh my God! Yes, then that's going to pop me out of that reality, right? That's going to pop me out of whatever real world they're trying to create, and and I understand that criticism, and I understand the criticism dramatically when I do something that feels like you know a big pet peeve of mine is coincidence, and I think you know it's it's like a, an old sort of story chestnut that it's okay if a coincidence starts a story because that's why the story is happening. That odd coincidence caused these two characters to meet on a train. And now, you know, now their, their lives are changed and we see the ripple effect of that. But when a coincidence solves the story, it's just like, no, they couldn't come up with another way of doing it or, or, it doesn't happen that way. Like things in reality never happen that way. Mm-hmm. And now you feel like you're watching a 
the construction of some, you know, puppeteer who's just moving pieces around however they want and sometimes not in a very good way. And that's where the, that's where the betrayal sort of seeps in and, and, and you kind of feel like, Oh, uh, you know, they've, they've broken the contract Mm -hmm. that they had with me at the beginning of this. And so to me, you know, Deadpool, I, the contract I signed at the beginning of that experience, they never broke that contract. That was very clear in the, in the big print, not even the fine print, what I was getting, right? You want to know what probably my biggest axe to grind is out of the entire franchise? Of Stargate? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure, I, look, I could probably guess about a hundred things yeah, <laughs> Vala disappearing through the ring transporter in the middle of of uh, deep space and winding up safe and sound on a planet in the Ori galaxy that was probably like okay that's a stretch <laughs> for me that was the one that really gr- I was like how does this work you know but you have to you know you have a great character you have to remove her from the situation and you have an opportunity to bring her back sooner or later. You just have to buy it. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember all the mechanics of that particular uh, sequence or instance, but I know like we certainly had uh, a number of people, none stronger than, than, Paul Mully, uh, who was, you know, like the logic police in the room and would be like, no, what, what, how does this make sense? And that's not possible. And, um, and I, I used to think I sort of, I think I sort of leaned more on the side of that. Uh, but I'd have to go back and watch that again and, and to remember exactly what the conversation was and why we all felt that was acceptable. Yeah. Cause the gates opening and she transmits, she gets transmitted to the other side. Um, and it, Daniel is the one who brings it up at the end of that episode. He's like, you know, if we wanted to send a message to the Ori, I think we just did. I think Carter has that line as well, but you know, it, it's those, those classic tropes like beaming out at the last second, you know, it's one of the, one of the, the great moments at the beginning of, of uh, 200, Sorry, Furlings, there's nothing that we can do. They beam out and let the planet go to hell. You know, I mean Yeah, I mean look, we we resisted <laughs> we resisted the things that we saw in other science fiction shows for so long. Yeah. But then eventually you're just like, uh, okay, I guess we gotta you know I guess we're gonna do that. Like, you know, we would be like, no, we're not gonna do beaming, and then the next thing you know, the, the Asgard are, are doing beaming. Asgard you know? transporters were I think inevitable at a certain point. So I think that's one of the things that I hope about um, if there is an SG4 at some point that there is some kind of handicap introduced in the in the story uh, to uh, if if we have the are lucky enough to have the continuation of your continuity, uh, some handicaps introduced in the script for some of the technologies. So like you guys did for SGU, you, you put yourself out there in the middle of nowhere with no support. So the uh, a Daedalus class ship is not going to fly in and save everyone's butt. Right. Absolutely. Dan Ben wanted to know, uh, Rob, were there any, and this is, this, this may be a little bit mental gymnastics here. Any deleted scenes over the years that just killed you to pull from the show? 
Well, it's kind of a cheat answer, but I mean, uh, I'd say cutting threads was one of the most difficult things I had ever done. Really? Even with the extended version? Well, that's what I'm saying is that the the extended version was a fight. There was never uh, a lot of, there was, it was never uh, a sure thing that that was going to happen. So there were times when I, when I, um, thought those scenes were never going to see the light of day. And I had to really argue for the, for the 90 minute version. And even still, I'm not sure that's the version. I'm not, I've never, I haven't checked, but I'm not sure that's the version that makes it to streamers. You know, I think that, I think it's available on DVD. Um, but the I'm not Blu-ray sure that's has the, the full version. Right. Then I'm not sure that's the one that people watch if they're looking at it on Netflix or Amazon or whatever. So it's, um, that was a big deal because I thought there were scenes, particularly the ones with Teal'c that we had to lose uh, at the end. Uh, it was a Teal'c-Braytac scene. And, and I was just like, this is, this is like major, you know, this is major closure for these characters. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was almost like this, this, you know, the episode didn't make sense without the extra without the extra stuff. So, um, I mean, we didn't have that problem a lot. I mean, in fact, we were often shooting new material to add to shows. Uh, episodes would come in short more often than I think they were long. If they, if they were long, it wasn't because there was too much material. It's because they were being cut in a way that was too slow and, and ended up boring. I mean, it, 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 it needed to get cut down. Um, but, uh, well, and I mean, obviously the, the, you know, the hero scenario, which we've talked about Mm -hmm. many times where, where the episode came in quite a bit long, but threads was the one where I was really kind of like, how can I do this? How can I get, how can I put out an episode that is not what it was intended to be? Um, and, you know, fortunately we kind of sort of won the battle for, the longer episode. So sci-fi wasn't open arms about this. Yeah, sure. Give us a longer one. They, they fought you. Uh, I, I wouldn't put it on sci-fi. I don't remember if it was entirely them. I mean, part of it was MGM too. The, 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 it's just a hassle for them to have two versions. It's a, there's a, there's a, a, an easy sort of waterfall that happens after you deliver an episode. And, uh, you know, um, we've talked about it in terms of, 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 you know, Brad's recut of, of the pilot, you mm-hmm. know, and how that somehow gets ignored and, and, you know, it's just, but that's not a choice always that these, that some person's making. It's just, they take, take the show off the shelf and they put it on the, you know, on the, on the, whatever they do for the broadcast, you know, it's like, it's not conscious but, someone as someone is yeah two file. versions what do i do and also yeah. and then you know and then the big deal is for for certainly for broadcast um you know we don't we don't own the extra air you think it's easy but they they segment these things like today in the world of streaming it doesn't matter it's just sitting there on a platform and who cares what length it is but in the days when we, there were commercials that were breaking these things up and you had a you had a format that was exactly 42 minutes and whatever seconds you couldn't break that. I'm curious to see how you are going to respond uh, to this one. Ooh. The, 
the character the, the, char- the characterization is interesting and it's not one that I fully agree with even though I see where they are coming from here comes the knuckleball this is a pa- this is a paragraph so so okay. feel free to ingest and then chew accordingly seal okay. wanted to know is there any sense among you or the other Stargate creatives how little the credit the franchise gets for being a more dark and dramatic military science fiction series in its showtime seasons. There were serious examinations of politics, critiques of the military, and the U.S. foreign policy in episodes like Cori and 48 Hours. That chilling moment in the other side O'Neill executes a genocidal maniac begging for his life, knowing that his own government will probably accommodate him in return for his knowledge. That's when we lost Rene Arbergenois. Discussion of nuclear weapons in Meridian. The show could hit it hard when it wanted to, and it did so often. People who had become familiar with the generally lighter sci-fi seasons said that Stargate became dark when Universe came about, and I say it returned to its roots. Any thoughts on that dynamic? Um, Well, uh, you said it was Seal who who Yes, C-I-E-L. I'm assuming that's... How you pronounce that? Well, yeah. Hopefully, I'm getting that right. But thank you very much for 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 writing that and for recognizing it. I mean, um, I can't control what other people think, and so uh, you know, I'm always happy when I see that we make some list somewhere of you know whatever best shows with a ring in it. Um, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, I, I just, you know, we, I, I, I think I probably disagree somewhat that the later seasons didn't uh, deal with, with, um, with issues. I mean, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, look, it was always a balance and we were, we, we were certainly always interested in uh, dealing with those issues and, 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 you know, because it was in, you know, it had the veneer of, of or, or at least a, a little buffer of science fiction. So it wasn't literally our world. Mm. Um, you could kind of get away with stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, uh, whether or not we got recognition, uh we were somewhat of an obscure show those first, you know, that first while. And I, and I wondered, I have wondered what would, what would it be like now if we were doing that show? Like when, when things go that long, they have a way of snowballing into something bigger. And, and I wonder what, you know, I wonder how big it would have got, would be now if we were doing it now. Um, uh, like I look back at, at how that show was built and the fact is it wouldn't have lived as long as it did had it not had that initial run on Showtime. I agree. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'll be honest. I, 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 the fact that, you know, I don't think we ever had the strongest um, marketing or outreach, you know, for the show. So, I, I would say I blame a little of that on on uh, the push behind the show. Um, you know, sci-fi sci-fi uh, 
I think we've talked about this before that, you know, it was an acquisition, right? And they, 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 it did very well for them and they liked the show and they were supportive of the show, but not quite as much as the shows they owned. Um, so, so, you know, if MGM didn't promote the show, then sci-fi was not going to promote it as strongly as they promoted some of their other stuff. Um, I never thought of it that way because yeah. it wasn't an in-house thing originally with sci-fi like Eureka or Warehouse 13 was. Right. It never was. It was, a, it was a, it was a, uh, or Battlestar Galactica. Right. That's uh, true. Right. So, so it was, a, it was, it was MGM. Um, so yeah, that, that was always a bit of a, of a, of an issue, but again, you know, I, it's, it's, I, I'm not whining about something that was very right. successful. Right. Absolutely. You're, we're, there's, there's a reason that, you know, dial the gate is now at almost 20,000 members. <laughs> I mean, someone is watching. So, and someone is, is picking up what you guys. Well, yeah. And I, and I, I look, I, I, we've talked about this, that I'm, I'm very uh, grateful that the show continues to be um, something that, that people are engaging with. Um, but again, I, I have to wonder, you know, uh, what, what would the, what would the, what would it look like if we were doing it now? I'm thinking eight to 10 episode seasons, it'd be done in four or five years, you know, maybe I'm things get chewed up and spat out so fast. Now the velocity of content now is just crazy. Yeah. And even if, you know, like stranger things, which is one of the most, you know, just pulling that out of, uh, from the sky, you know, four seasons and then that's it. You know, it's a, it's a novelty. I really think that, uh, the, the, the second that sci-fi acquiring it, you know, and then, uh, the, the various spinoffs. But I think also, having said that, you had a lot to mine there with the Stargate itself, with with the idea behind that. So the the, the sure. series itself created its its own opportunities as you went along because the storytelling was so good. Well, thank you. Tatoten Tatoten wants to know, Rob, if uh, you could film parts of SG four in a foreign country, what uh, what country would you love to film? And unlimited um, budget, Malta, Switzerland, Iceland. Well, I, you know, all of them. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you, wait, oh, if, you put a, if you put unlimited budget in there, I mean, of course, all of them. Um, you know, there are certainly a lot of budgetary advantages to a number of, of places right now that, mm. you know, many shows are being shot in, but, um, uh, I also found, look, I found that going other places was fantastic. Uh, it's challenging, you know, it's challenging to work with crews from other places who aren't familiar with the show and the shorthand. And so, I mean, uh, or let your camera run out while you're filming a fall from yeah. that. Yeah. So, I mean, look, uh, I, I don't know how to answer that question. It, it it's, um, you know, what's the story, right? Like what's that's true what's too. The, you yeah. know, like we, I think the best example of reverse engineering was when, was, you know, when Brad got offered the opportunity to, to go to the North pole and see a submarine come up out of the ice. And he's like, okay, how do I, how do <laughs> I turn you, that Gary into Campbell. a story? 
yeah, how do I turn that into a story? Um, but, uh, but I think I would be like, well, what's, what's the, what's the story? You know, I think that that is a terrific example of refining an idea based on circumstance. And that's a less eloquent way of putting what you just did, where it's like, you know, we had a conversation about where do ideas come from? And you, you, you were, you said that you were very thematic and I want to tell a story about revenge or as Brad, you know, may, might have us have this idea of a scene in his head, you know, where opportunities would come up like that or where you guys would be seeing something on the news about an, I don't know, a new development in the GVRD, the, uh, the the forest up there in Vancouver. Oh, that spot. Let's go there. Yeah, absolutely. Did opportunities like that come up on did, for for location scouting? Were you guys? Well, how was that? Uh, like the best example of that, it was um, we when we shot uh, in in New Mexico for the the for the pilot of Air. Um, at the time, Andy Makita uh, got some, you know, intel from one of the location managers we were working with that there was something really cool up up north. And he took a long drive and uh, looked at these hoodoos that were, you know, in, in, in the north of New Mexico. And he's like, we have to go back there. And I was like, <laughs> oh, the Misty Badlands for season two. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he's still, I'm sure, mad at me to this day for stealing it. Um, <laughs> for for um, for that show. So it, it's uh, you know for my episode. So uh, yeah, that was a, that was a case where I was like, um, that that's a cool look, and and what's a what's a show I can set there, and and that actually was the the confluence of that episode was having a conversation sitting on the on the set with Robert Carlyle and having him say you know I've always if I said if, if what's something you've always dreamed of doing like what like we were talking about the fact that science fiction is not one genre it's all of them and that you can literally do anything you want and I said so what's something you've always wanted to do and he said I always wanted to do a western and so I was like done and nice so we classic you know, revenge story yeah right there no that's uh, the, new mexico is one of the if if listeners get a chance uh, white sands in season one and then the 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 bisty badlands in season two i've been to both places absolutely remarkable uh yeah. locations and especially the second one it's so alien you know but it's crazy. It I mean, makes... you're driving along, and and the, and the crazy thing about it is that it's all below ground level, yeah. right? So you're yeah, driving it along it's perfectly flat. You don't see anything, and all of a sudden, the you know the world just opens up, and and it's there, and it's uh, you're looking down into it, and it's crazy. Just absolutely crazy. Universe was was so spectacular, in part of partly because the uh, the the locations were just you know sensational. You guys were really on your game with that, even with interiors. And uh, the green screen when they're when they're going uh, from gate to gate to gate near the end of season one, we get all these different locations. Uh, it's just it's, it just looks spectacular, you know. The the money really appeared on screen. We had more of it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. I, I'm also um, 
willing if if you want to just pass this one that's fine um redux with the recent accidents on the alec baldwin movie set was wondering how gun safety training practical effects and overall safety uh was on stargate since it was such an action oriented show uh james bamford and i have spoken about this uh dan shea you know this was you know this was the core of of your show in many in many respects and some of it had to have been some of the hardest elements to shoot yeah um look that situation was tragic and obviously um uh my heart goes out to everyone who's involved uh mm. i don't know how you uh cope with that um mm. it's not however the first time someone's uh died on set uh stunts are dangerous and I think the people who are good at it and who are involved do understand um, the danger. Now, mm. that was not necessarily, a, that was obviously not a stunt. So that was a situation in which, you know, when I started hearing about it, I was like, I, I don't understand how did, what, what happened? How did that happen? Like you, there's never, there's no situation I've ever been involved in in which you would have a live round on set, you know, the, the B side of a, of a gun sequence is always a separate, um, it's always a separate explosion. You know, it's a, it's a little harmless little firecracker that's showing you what, and even then nowadays means we'd gotten to a point even towards the end of, of Stargate, which was, you know, 10 years ago, um, not having any sort of, uh, rounds in, in you know in the gut now the, the actors often you know preferred it because it would it would give them some sort of reaction um, the recoil yeah it's a very recoil. physical and, thing and, and and the and the uh uh you know in the case of the p90s the 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 shell ejecting which frankly was you know uh you know a problem as far as as injuries as well people get burned by them mm-hmm. um the p90s were were helpful because it ejected the shell straight down as opposed to a lot of the automatic weapons would come out sideways. So if you were next to somebody, the hot shell would hit them in the arm. I think that happened to Amanda one time or maybe more than once. Um, and you know, I don't, I couldn't count the number of blanks that we probably fired off, uh, over the years. Thousands. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> no, it was more like millions. I mean, it's seriously, <laughs> more like millions. I don't. I can't. But because there were times yeah. with thousands, like think about the scenes where there would be outside, where there'd be you know people with twenty, thirty. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like we were kind of you know cheaping out on the people in the distance no. either. You know, it was like they were firing rounds, and you'd, you know, one of the problems I think people don't probably think about or understand is that the other benefit to having a blank is that you see the muzzle fire, uh, but you don't always see it. So we were having to fix that anyway, sometimes because the shutter of the camera is going through at a rate so fast that sometimes you're not actually even seeing that quick flash of fire. So it's not even there when it's supposed to be. So post-production would fix fix some of those. Yeah. We put the, put the muzzle flashes in. Um, Never do that. Yeah. So, I mean, so then it's like, we're doing it, we're doing it half the time anyways, let's just do it all the time and make it safer. Um, But look, I I mean, 
the the armors, the people who handled the the weapons were always, um, and on other shows that I've done on Dirk, were always um, super professional, and uh, and I had a ton of confidence in them. But the the, the precautions that would be taken, you would never ever point a camera, a gun at a camera. I mean, even even from the point of view of you know camera preservation you know you do want to damage a two hundred thousand dollar camera uh let alone hurt a, a cameraman um there was always like bulletproof lexine in front of the camera and big shields and and you know people would get under these uh big blankets in case there was some sort of projectile that was fired out um you know, the one incident I'm familiar with in which a blank hurt somebody, it was extremely close range. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, look, uh, I think, I, I can't think of many scenarios in which visual effects can't make things 100% safe today. There's no excuse for really putting someone in danger with a, with a firearm. I mean, there's going to continue to be, and certainly visual effects are going to shortly get to the point where, you know, many stunts are not, are not really necessary, but, um, but I mean, look, it's still, it's still a dangerous uh, uh, endeavor. And and I think hopefully the people who, who do things um, on sets that are dangerous uh, understand the risks. Absolutely. And are you know observing all the safety precautions? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an this is an this particular incident is an evolving story, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, moving I, forward. I mean, you know, I, I can't again. I can't speak to the facts that are kind of coming out Correct. or what is what is true and what is not true. It's uh, it, it's all alleged at the moment. So yep. let's let's be uh, let's be um, crystal clear cautious, on that. Cautious that way. Yeah. Yep. Mitch Mays, left turn here. How emotional was Meridian to write? How quickly did it come uh, out? You know, how did it take? Oh, some time? yeah, I, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, it should, I should, I guess, I should say it was hard, but um, I liked writing the emotional stuff. I mean, it was that was sort of energizing. Uh, it was easy to write a scene that had that kind of uh, weight to it and heart to it and, and, and really messed with the lead characters uh, emotions and connections to each other. I mean, trying to find an entertaining way to write a, you know, a a hallway scene that's, that's full of exposition. That's tough. Um, (laughs) You do a million of them. Yeah, you know, but uh, but that stuff was great. You know, it was it was uh, it was it was fun. Like, I don't want to look. I don't want to say it's fun to kill Daniel, but but some people would say it's fun to kill Daniel. But <laughs> but it was always it was always very um, exciting to be able to do the bigger things. Did you have Mel Harris in mind when you were writing it? Was, uh, Oma, was, was Mel on the page there, or were was it just Oma? Uh, I mean, I was always a fan of hers. Yeah. Um, so 
I don't remember exactly when the suggestion came up that she was available or could be involved. She and her son had visited, recently visited the set at some right. point beforehand. Right. So I think that may have been what put it in my head. Okay. Yeah. What a magnificent um, performance to this. I mean, to this day, it's one of her favorite characters. Uh, there was, there was something really done there that, that kind of Obi-Wan to Luke kind of, uh, mentor situation where, you know, Daniel is, Daniel was the heart and soul of that show in many respects. I mean, you can argue each of the characters had a piece of that for sure. Um, you have to understand, like we, we, uh, I, I mean, I won't, I won't include everyone. I, I won't speak for everybody, but at least me and, and, and a few of the people I knew who I was close to on the show did not did not think of the show as some sort of big global hit television show. We were just there doing our jobs and having fun on a set and whatever. So when, when a, you know, a celebrity or someone who was, you know, famous would, would get in touch with us and say, well, we like the show or they want to come visit or whatever. We were like, really? Wow. Like (laughs) people watch this show and, you know, like, so we weren't, it was always a bit of a thrill, you know. You had your when, heads down working. We had our heads down. And so it was it was always a bit of a thrill when when we found out someone was a fan and then we'd be like, let's get them on the show. Let's not waste that. Sure. If they're watching, you know, especially right. if they're watching with their families, that was some of the, the amazing things about a lot of those characters that uh, a lot of the actors that you got as the show went on. I mean, Lou Gossett Jr., my gosh. You know, I always think, would, wouldn't he have been an amazing Landry? You know, if that, if if the table, if the adjustments, if things had gone just a little bit of a different way. And Bo, you know, I mean, what a show. Well, that, what the show that was the thing. Bo? That was the thing with, with uh, Dan Castellaneta, too. Like, that wasn't like we should cast Dan Castellaneta as this character. It was like, the, there was, we had heard Rick had bought some sort of, charity table read thing where he got to go and he was a huge fan of the Simpsons. And obviously, you know, the whole dough thing was a big, um, D O H not red. <laughs> the apostrophe uh, O H. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> would, uh, was a big, was a big thing for him. And so it was that relationship that started the ball rolling on the idea that maybe we could get Dan to come and do the show. Um, and I don't remember. I think it was only. I think it was after that the Simpsons decided to do their Stargate thing. It was around there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rick did a Stargate convention on the Simpsons before he had done a Stargate convention, and so we were all like, "Oh, come on, you know." And and then of course he then went and actually did a Stargate convention. That was like, okay, that's pretty legit, yeah. you know. But the talent. When, when when was Galaxy Quest? Galaxy yeah, Quest was 99. What year was that? Galaxy Quest was 99. <laughs> yeah, so 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 2 years in, almost 3 years in. Right, so. You want to talk about an amazing parody of a, of a film right there. You know, I think uh, the, one of the one of the better phrases, not to go too off topic, but I think one of the better phrases that's on the internet right now, Galaxy Quest is the best Star Trek film ever made. <laughs> <laughs> parody there's a thing to be said for parody man if you look at the orville yeah. now and so dean dean uh pariso 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 i worked with him and i still can't say his name um <laughs> i had the opportunity to work with him on uh he directed the pilot of uh dirk gently um okay so, 
so yeah, I got a chance to really uh, fanboy over uh, over that uh, movie and and explain to him just how much it meant to uh, a whole writers' room of uh, science fiction writers, <laughs> um, and how how you know how sad he also made us feel to some extent. <laughs> well, it, it, it's it's. It's either going to work or it's not. You know, when one of those when those films comes out there, and I, the, the Galaxy Quest documentary is one of one of the better documentaries out there because they talk about how it was going to be this one thing, and then it kind of became something that was even better. Um, you know, and you can't. I think it's a great example. You can't you can't plan these things out on a spreadsheet because if you do, people will see between the lines what's going on. They'll see that they're being and feel well. They'll feel that they're being manipulated. Yeah. Absolutely. Cliff Maxwell. Uh, this week, kind of piggybacking on, on what we spoke on before with modern television. What are some, because you've, you've produced TV um, more recently than Stargate, obviously. What are some of the larger complexities and hurdles of creating the show back then from potentially creating a new Stargate today? What's different in the landscape? Wow. Um, it well, look, money is always an issue, and, mm. and you think, you know, what's the budget going to be? Uh, I mean, you look at some of the stuff that's out there right now, uh, and people are like, "Why doesn't all television look like that?" Well, those shows have huge budgets, feature budgets. You have streamers fighting for your your uh, subscriptions and your eyeballs, and and trying to um, stake out a uh, a claim. And so the budgets are enormous. So how do you compete with that? And, um, you know, uh, I've always argued, uh, just cause, just cause I drove, a, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ruin it with whatever brand of car I, I, I use here, but it's like, just cause I drove a Toyota, it doesn't mean I can't drive a a Lamborghini, you know, like, uh, I think I figure it out. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money to spend and it'd be, it'd be great. And I think some people trip and fall a little bit over, over that. Cause it, it then becomes more about how do we, how do we spend the money then, then tell a story that that's going to be engaging. Um, so, and create characters, you know, like, so, so that's why, I mean, I feel like personally, I watch a lot of stuff that's the very expensive shows and I, I feel like they're beautiful, empty experiences. Um, uh, but look, it's the same problems. It's the same issues. It's, it's getting people on board with your vision. Uh, it's communicating your vision and then, uh, putting the pieces together because there's so many pieces. It's a giant machine. There's cast, there's crew, who's your DP, what's the look of the show, who's your line producer, who's going to make all that money work for you in a good way. The, it's any, If any one of those things goes wrong, mm. um, you could have a disaster on your hands. And so, so, I mean, that problem hasn't changed at all. That's certainly true. There are complexities in place that are just not going to go. Well, and it's part of the reason why you are surrounded by the best people that you can surround yourself with. Right. I mean, yeah. And, 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 and so even then, I mean, the chemistry 
may or may not come together in a way that that produces this final product. Um, there is an experiment at play, uh, which is why, you know, again, television for me is appealing because once, once you do the initial experiment <clears throat> the, and the show, you know, appears, it's a little easier to sustain it than when you're doing movies and each one is a, is a whole new thing on its own. You know, you're starting from scratch every time. Um, at least you get to kind of ride the back of that, those initial choices when you're making a, uh, a television show. You were talking about driving Toyotas and Lamborghinis and everything else. And this image flashed. In I, we, we own a Toyota, by the way, so <laughs> I, I'm not disparaging the brand. So did it's you a great car? So <laughs> that's funny. Rob. <laughs> uh, the, the image flashed through my head of, of, of you behind the wheel. And a story uh, that you told Darren and me uh, years ago, and I've been wanting to have it on the record since I started uh, with you here, about how art kind of imitates life and vice versa, and how things just kind of fall into your orbit that ultimately make it into a TV series. Um, Unending and CCR. Um. Yeah, well, I don't. What's what part of the story are you? Are it you kept remember? on coming up in your life. Oh, like yeah, that's how you stuff turned happen- around. Yeah, that sort of stuff happens weirdly a lot. I don't necessarily attribute any sort of religious, right? Uh, right. You know, miracle to it, uh, but I just sometimes feel like coincidence. Um, can't be ignored, you know, uh, like, you know, there was a, there's just when, when, when you're, when you're talking about something or thinking about something in particular, and you're like, Oh, I wish I had a song for this, uh, particular scene. And, you know, it's, it's gotta have, it's gotta be kind of sad and maybe it has rain in it or whatever. And then you get in the car and you turn the car on and that song plays on the radio. You're like, well, maybe somebody's trying to tell me something. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I, there are a number of times where, again, when you're working on a budget, um, you, you, you kind of fall sometimes into the, into the mindset of, I, I can't have those things, so I'm not going to think about it. Ah, uh, so and, not even consider some things. Right. Yeah. You just don't go there because it's like, I can't, you know, we can't do that. I mean, we, we ended up, some of the experiences we had towards the end of, um, you know, of, of, of SG1 in Atlantis, we learned, oh yeah, yeah, guess what? We can find music, like pop music and put it in the show and it can work. And that's why we ended up repeatedly doing that. I mean, we were, we were changing the tone a little bit with universe, but there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more, uh, contemporary music in that show. Um, so sometimes you just have to kind of break out of that mindset of this. We, we can do that. Like, you know, uh, and we would ask and, and at, at certain point, you know, success kind of, you know, becomes a little bit more undeniable and, and, uh, and, and yeah. And the answer ends up being yes, you know, like, like getting to go to Vegas for, for, uh, uh, 
you know, for Atlantis at the end. And, and um, that became, you know, let's not, let's not discount the possibility. We'd all sit around and go, wouldn't it be cool if we could actually shoot in Vegas? And, and, you know, in the old days we would dismiss it because it's like, yeah, no, nobody's ever going to give us the money to do that. Um, But uh, yeah, we, we learned to ask. Yeah. It's like the lottery. If you don't play, you definitely won't win. Yeah. You know, it's, sure. it, it's, I think it's a, I think it's a, a great example of uh, if, if you truly want something, what's the harm in asking, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you look at that episode, the Vegas episode and it has, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the Rolling Stones in it. And, it sure does. You know, uh, Johnny Cash. I yeah. Mean, it's like, like, that was like, I was like, let's ask, let's see what, Let's ask a how much it's going to cost, and b if the studio will let us put it in the show. You Absolutely, know, you've already established Shepard as a Johnny Cash fan. There was no way I really think that you could do Vegas without a Johnny Cash song. Yeah. So, um, sp- kind of piggybacking on that, media mediocre, medi m e a d y o g r e. That's clever. Uh, any chance of getting? And I know this is not the tree to bark up, but I still want kind of your rallying cry with me here because this is a drum that I've been beating for a long time. Any chance of getting a more comprehensive collection of Joel Goldsmith's um, music? And I know that that probably has to do with his deal with his family um, and whoever has access to those um, those files. But man, especially the music and universe, my gosh, would I I would give my right arm to have some of those. Well, you shouldn't do that, but, uh, um, well, no, but yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, look, uh, you know, I, every time I think about it, I, I obviously get sad and miss Joel. Um, but, uh, that's a, it's a studio thing. I would mm. think it, it's an MGM thing. Um, I don't know why, uh, it doesn't exist. I know there are some, uh, there is a, definitely. There is a, you know, I don't know if it's available actually on on the uh, streaming sort of music streaming sites or not. But um, Arc of Truth and Continuum, um, the uh, but not Atlantis, not the Universe comp- compilation. No, Universe has never been released. No, and that's the one that I would love to have. And there's there are fake ones that are on uh, YouTube where someone has right. has uh, divided up the uh, the five point one and isolated that audio track. But it's you've got all kinds of sounds on that same layer that just kind of muddy it up. But he's right. He was brilliant. The man was just a genius. Yes, he was. So, um, so yeah, I don't. I'm sorry, uh, I can't really answer that question. But I, I would just say, write your letters to uh, to MGM. Absolutely. A couple more here, and then I'm going to let you go, Rob. Yeah. Um, is there a Goran Andonovsky? Is there a supporting guest character that you can think back on? Uh, that you would have uh, developed more if given the chance? Well, that's one that I would need time to go back through that long list on uh, IMDb. IMDb before <laughs> I could answer that. But uh, maybe we'll, what we'll do is I'll, I'll think about that one and we can hit that next time. Okay, that's fair. Meditate on that. Shelly yeah. Johnson and Gap Stargate. What advice would you have for aspiring writers, more specifically the motivation to keep going? Um, you know, look, I, I guess what I, well, the first thing I would say is I still struggle with that Okay. myself. Okay. Uh, so you're not alone if, if, if it's something you question. Um, 
You know, I think if you're, I don't, I don't mean to sort of push you aside, but if you don't, if you don't have the, if you, if you're a writer, you're not going to be able to quit. You know, yeah. like, like that, that's, it's something you'll do whether you're getting paid for it or not. And, and you'll continue to try and get paid for it. I mean, it's something that, look, some people don't have a good voice and they still sing in the shower. Um, right. You they know, do it for themselves. If they do it for else. themselves. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you got to listen to, you got to listen, you got to read the room and listen to the world, right? Like, uh, you do the best you can to, to be a sponge and learn craft, learn skills, learn what is available to you in terms of how to technically be a writer. But then at some point, yeah, you have to have uh, talent and a story to tell that people want to hear. And, um, and sometimes, and, and so much of the time it's timing, you know, it's, it's, I feel like the idea of overnight success or flashes in the pan are, are, are sort of sexy stories, but they don't, they're not real and they're not really very often. So most of it comes from hard work and persistence. I mean, to me, it's do good work, be persistent. And, you know, that whole idea of, Oh, well, you know, it's not, it's not a hundred no's before you get a yes. It's, it's more than that. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more than that. And you have to realize that, um, you know, you're just looking for, you're looking for those moments where the story you're telling and the person you're telling it to are the perfect match. And that that's that, that there's some magical resonance there. It's, you know, I don't know. It's a weird thing. It's like, look, it's like, how do I find love? It's like, you know, I, you'll know it when you find it. <laughs> It, does, uh, it begins and ends with persistence. It sounds like, though. Yeah. Because if you're not doing that, you're not. Again, if you don't play, you're not going to win. Yeah. Keep doing it. I mean, and 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 my argument. Look, my my. What I say to writers all the time is, as much as it is the story that you're telling, um, it's about you as the writer. You're, you, you know, it, the way you get paid is by being a not by having a product. You're not a manufacturer that is trying to sell a product. You're trying to sell you. Right. And so an agent, for example, looks at you and it's not like, not like, how do I sell this show? Selling a show is really hard. It's how do I put this person on staff? So people get to know them. And they're always thinking about it in terms of not really in terms of your career. They're thinking about in terms of money. How do I make money off this person? What is you are the product for those agents, for for the people who are going to get you work. So, you know, if we're talking about screenwriting, I mean, de- find ways to demonstrate that you're a valuable tool, that you're a valuable uh, uh, piece of the puzzle that can fit into any, you know, not any situation, but specific situations. So, you know, you're writing uh, multiple examples of how, of, of like genres that you want to be a part of, that you want to be in. You want you don't want to be too broad a swath of, you know, types of shows because, or types of writing, because people won't know what you are and what you want to be. You got to be a little more 
a little more specific, you can branch out a little, a little bit more later and sort of redefine yourself. But at least initially, you got to have a bit more of a target in mind. Um, and then demonstrate that you're more than, you know, just a one trick pony and that you're, you're not just, it's not just that one script you've written that you're trying to sell and turn into a, a, a big show. It's about you being a valuable piece of a puzzle in a, in a writer's room, getting to know people. They, you move up, they start to like you, trust you, realize you deliver on a regular basis. And then they want to develop with you. And then they're like, how do we, what shows do you want to make? And then suddenly now you've gotten to a level where you're, you're being, you know, you're respected enough that, that uh, people trust you because it, it's not like with a book where they can see everything on the page and it, it's, you know, even then there's a risk involved. Maybe it won't find an audience, but the cost of putting it out there is so much smaller than the tens and tens of millions of dollars you have to put into making a television show. And nobody really knows the, the formula for success. And so what they do is they, they bank on people who have, done it before or have some value that they see in the marketplace that they can blame when it goes wrong, you know, that they can say, well, yeah, well, you know, it was, it was whatever. It was this star and that producer and that director. So it's not my fault. They, you know, succeeded. So, you know, you have to become someone in the person's eyes who controls that money, who controls the scenario that they can trust that they know is going to deliver. Well, how does that happen? It doesn't happen from one sample script. It happens from you working with them, from you getting a, or getting a track record that speaks to, to the market that they can look at and go, yeah, I, I believe in that person. So um, yeah, it may seem like a long road. Uh, I don't know if I've really answered that person's question, yes, you but have. But you have you have to you have to think of yourself not as the producer of products, but as the as the machine that you're building. You know, absolutely. Thank you for that answer. I really appreciate that answer. Um, the last thoughts I'm going to leave to uh, Chris Delagarza, and maybe you can comment on the impact. Um, no question for Mr. Robert C. Cooper. I just want to say thank you, sir. I'm an army vet with PTSD. I have binge watched Stargate at least five times. The show was relatable on a military level for me and um, was there for me when I needed it. So, well, I, you know, I, I guess I accept that. Thank you with the utmost uh, humility um, and humbleness and and say, uh, no, thank you Mm. uh, for what you went through. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't really express that strongly enough that, um, what I do is, uh, not the same. Is it, um, surprising to, to hear those stories or is it a comfort to know that, uh, you know, we, we created a, a product that is, is resonating and, you know, the, all the work that you guys did with the U S military and making sure that it was, uh, it was correct has, has paid no, off. No, I mean. I don't think it's surprising to hear that. I think I, I understand I've been, I haven't been through that by any means, but I've been through some things and, and I know that when I'm having a hard time or when I've been through something and I, I, I look often to, to entertainment, to 
to get me through it or to find some commonality of experience or some way in which I can rationalize what I went through or even just to escape for a little while and, and, and take my mind off it. So I, I'm not just the maker of the product. I'm a consumer as well. And I understand that, that, um, the value in that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that whatever I did had some impact in that way, but, um, but I definitely uh, have experienced it myself. What are you consuming right now that you recommend that we consume? What's good? What's on the table right now? Wow. Oh, boy, that's a tough question. Um, well, I'll tell you what I'm I'm, I'm currently, because my uh, youngest is uh, 14, there's a bunch of stuff she hasn't seen. So she is, uh, she, we try to take turns. She goes, um, she kind of, indoctrinates me into the things she likes to watch and then i in turn try and find things that i've liked over the years that i think she might like um and we're actually uh going through the um the cumberbatch uh sherlock's right now i have had it on my list for years and i have we've never seen it oh are you i started a study in pink and i fell asleep I woke up and all my friends were gone. They went oh, no. home. <laughs> well, you, yeah. I mean, I don't know if there was drinking involved in that, but uh, <laughs> there wasn't. <laughs> but uh, I know he's good, though. Oh my god! Uh, there, look, that show, uh, and I've I've um, worked with a couple of the directors, ah. and uh, and uh, yeah, it's uh, the, when it's great it's really great like the the brilliant episodes are just magic to watch like it's like okay i'm jealous um <laughs> uh i mean there's a couple of there's a couple of misses in there but uh you know it's i don't i'm not gonna not bad for eight or nine shows fantastic uh so yeah really enjoy that um and uh what else have I watched recently um, that I've loved? I mean, I have, I kind of, I have a kind of eclectic taste, and uh, and I also, frankly, to be honest with you, watch a lot of sports and cooking shows. Uh, Good for you, absolutely. But also because it's like, it's just easier on my brain, you know. Like I, I when I when I watch something that's good, um, that's great. But when I watch something that I I just, I find it's just frustrating, you know, to see stuff out there that's, uh, uh, maybe I'm old fashioned and it's like, not like the good old days, you know? Well, I mean, I, one of the questions that I, that I skipped over asking you because we kind of just went a different direction was, you know, there's, I imagine there's some writers out there who believe in writing what you know and what it is that you consume. And then there's others who could probably watch judge Judy and then go work on a film noir script. Right. No. I did. I did just finish season three of uh, Sex Education, which I absolutely loved. Okay. Um, on Netflix, uh, I, I'm. That's I Asa Butterfield's are... show, I think. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. It really. Uh, it 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 took a uh, it took a genre and and really pushed it in a to a place that had it never that genre had never gone before in a way that I felt needed to happen um and sp- spoke to a generation in a way that hadn't been spoken to you know that they hadn't been spoken to before and and just did it with such 
talent and class and um, humor and sensitivity. It's, it's, it's really well done. Did you see uh, Tales from the Loop? No, I haven't. It is, it's, it's beautiful. It's like, oh, yeah. it's like two parts. It's, it's one part beautiful, one part um, awe, and one part sad. You know, and it was, it really took me aback. It's just like the impressionist, it's not so much impressionist work. The, 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 it's based on uh, paintings from the 1960s of like this retro future. It's fantastic. It's eight episodes, limited series. So highly recommend it. Cool. 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 I'll check that out. My friend, thank you so much for joining me once again. As always, this is, this is terrific. I had fun. We had a great time and uh, I, I look forward to having you, uh, back on later this year thank you very much for continuing to have me and and thank you to everyone who wrote uh wrote in and asked questions and if we didn't get to them maybe we can we can get to some some of them next time but uh thanks for continuing to engage with the show and and uh yeah appreciate it my thanks once again to robert c cooper for joining us on uh, this episode he's always terrific to sit down and talk with his he's just insightful and his stories are always great dial the gate is brought to you every week for free and we do appreciate you watching if you want to support the show further consider buying yourself some of our themed swag the holidays are coming up we're now offering t-shirts tank tops sweatshirts and hoodies for all ages as well as mugs and other accessories in a variety of sizes and colors at my spread shop click on a specific design to see what items are being offered checkout is fast and easy just visit dialthegate.myspreadshop.com and thanks so much for your support. This episode is pre-recorded, so I don't have a specific lineup for you ready to go at this point. Uh, So keep an eye on social media and everything else that's happening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting that like button. It does make a difference with YouTube's algorithm and helps uh, the audience grow. We're almost at 20,000 users now, and that's all thanks to you guys sharing the show and enjoying it. If uh, you think there's a Stargate friend out there uh, who will enjoy the show, please consider sharing it with them as well. My thanks to producer Linda Gategabber Fury, as well as my moderating team, Summer, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, Reese, Anthony, and big thanks to Frederick Marcoux at Concepts Web. Uh, he is our web developer on Dial the Gate, who's making uh, the new website possible. Dial the Gate's now available on Apple and Google Podcasts, so there's about a week delay there because uh, this is the main source for the show, so I want to give everyone a chance to come here first, and then it'll be uh, picked up on iTunes. Uh, so... That's another way to enjoy the show now. Uh, One of the things that people uh, are going to notice is that some of the episodes are missing on iTunes and uh, the podcast catchers is because those episodes are the ones that featured artwork. So it was all visual. So there was nothing really to say. So I wasn't going to upload those anyhow. So you're going to notice, you may notice those holes in the numbers and that's why. My name is David Reed for Dial the Gate. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. I appreciate your time and we'll see you on the other side.